You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. See a few new faces, so I wanted to just tell you this, that we have a devotional over here. There's only a couple left there. I produce a devotional each week on Sunday. If you would like to add your name to the email list, uh, Loretta has gone and helped with the kids. A little short lady that sits up here, she's got a bluish green dress on today. You could tell her, or you could tell Charlie Alva. Stand, would you stand up there, Mr. Alva? You got the short arm there. That guy right there. You could tell him your email, they'll write it down, and we'll make sure we get you on the email, on the church email. And then there's a prayer uh, text that we send out as well. And there's also a food text if you want to help with bringing food. And I don't really, I guess Madeline, I would tell Madeline right there about the food text. Uh, yeah, and, the, and then if she can get you on the text if you want to be on that prayer text. So I just wanted to tell you that before we start. I don't like to give announcements at the end because I want you to kind of ponder on the word as it was spoken, okay? We're going to be in Second Peter chapter 3. We're almost done with, we've done both Peters there, and I think we might move right into First John here in a couple weeks. So next week... Um, on the Jewish calendar, and I know I know a vast majority of us probably are not Jews in here. However, Jesus was a Jew. His apostles were Jews. Um, the prophets were Jews. Moses was a Jew. Abraham was a Jew. They were all Jews. You're reading out of a Jewish book. Whether you know that or not, you're reading a Jewish book. And it's not that you're worshiping a Jewish God. You're worshiping the God of crea- creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the Father. His Son, the Messiah is Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach is his name, and he was a Jew. He grew up as a Jew. He kept the Jewish law. He did the Jewish rites and passages. He kept the feast. And the next feast, it's in line, and he actually, um, in prophecy, completed some of the feasts. In Passover, he was killed. And on first fruits, he was raised again. And, and then on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was sent, which is the, uh, the Feast of Weeks. And so the next feast in order happens next week. And next week is the Feast of Trumpets, or they call it nowadays, they call it Rosh Hashanah. And then the, uh, it's, also, um, uh, it's also called Yom Teruah, which is the Feast of uh, the Day of Trumpets. And so most likely at some point in the future, maybe this week, um, uh, the Lord's going to return most likely on the Feast of Trumpets because the trumpet blast signifies the return of the king. Following that, so next week is Feast of Trumpets, the following week after that is Day of Atonement and then Feast of Tabernacles, God with us. If you remember Jesus' name, he told his mother to name him Emmanuel, God with us. That was his name. That was his code name, his secret name, his nickname. One of his names, Emmanuel, God with us. The Feast of Tabernacles is, so we have trumpets, the return of the king, we listen, we have atonement that's after that, getting ready to be presented before the king, and then so that we can reign and rule and reign in his presence with him, um, Feast of Tabernacles. So we got him coming, cleaning up, and being with them. And so these feasts are um, there for a reason in God's word, and he even tells us in the Old Testament, and maybe a lot of people don't like to apply this, but it says, as long as time exists, keep this feast. And he's talking about Passover, which we call communion, but it's the same animal. Keep this feast. Jesus, he never told us to remember Easter, his resurrection, or Christmas, 
his birth, but he told us to keep the Passover. Why? Why does he want us to remember his death? Passover is his death because it's his death, his atoning sacrifice to sin that makes us be able to rise with him again on that day. All right. So just know that that's coming up. So the psalm for next week, if you want to read it ahead of time, would be Psalm 81 because that's the psalm that really talks about the kings coming with trumpets and that sort of thing. So that's the psalm we'll read next week. And you can bone up on it this week as you, uh, that's an old-timey word, you can study up on it this week and, uh, and be ready for next week. How about that? 2 Peter 3, verse 1, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. There was a man that very few of you guys know. He was one of the people that helped us plant our church here. His name was Tony Dan Helka. He was a pastor. And uh, there's Loretta. She's sloping in the back door. That's her. She's been helping with kids. If you want to uh, get on that email, uh, uh, what was she supposed to do? The email, right? The email or the food or the text. She can help you with any of those. That's her. That's what she looks like in the flesh. All right. Pastor Tony, if you met him now, if you, if you knew him now, he's this very, I, I don't really know anybody of our fellowship that really acts like him. Um, um, he was a very gentle, really, really, seemed really quiet, but he, when he preached, he preached very powerfully. He's always had to clear his throat, and, and he just, uh, he's just a little, um, he, he's not overly tall, maybe 5'10", maybe 5'11", something like that. And to know him now, you wouldn't know what he was. But he was quite the dude when he was young. And he would tell you himself, I'm, I'm not telling his testimony out of school or anything, but he was, he was addicted to pornography and, and he was into boxing. He was a violent person. It's hard to believe knowing him now, how gentle he is and how kind he is, sweet he is. And um, uh, alcoholic. And this lady moved in near their house years ago when he was a kid. And his parents were unsaved. He was unsaved, unsaved. And um, he, this lady had this odd way of evangelism in that she treated everybody as if they were already saved, like they should know better. You should know better. You should know better. You know better than to do that, right? You know better. I mean, that's just not how we act, right? Like if he was acting frisky or doing something bad or getting into trouble, she'd be like, well, we, I mean, we know better than that because that's not how God's children would act, right? Yes, ma'am. And she was apparently a very attractive lady, and she had a number of kids. And, and she just the way her method of evangelism, and then she would kind of soften the target there by telling them they should know better. And eventually, she would lead them to Christ. She ended up leading Tony to Christ when he was 18 or 19 years old, and then his parents as well. And then all, a lot of his brothers and sisters, I believe, also were led to Christ by this lady, through this lady's witness, even in the long term. And I tell you all that that I'm not so sure that that's necessarily the best means. I used to call that lifestyle evangelism. This lady had a particular gift in this. So I'm not saying if that's not your personality, don't try it. It's better to speak the words than just try to be a good person all the time because being a good person does not proclaim the majesty of God exactly because there's a lot of people think they're good people. That aside. This book of Second Peter is written assuming that the person reading it is saved already and that you would already be acting in a particular way because you're already saved, that you should know better than to act in this old way, 
where it was described, eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, hearts trained in covetous practices, accursed children. That's not you. You know better than that. You would be that person there at the very start and one of uh, these things are yours and abound um, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness leading to charity or love. That's how you should act, right? Peter wrote it to people that should be acting in that way. And so I've kind of skipped over some of that in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, um, only in that it really describes these false teachers. And um, as far as I know, as far as I can tell in myself, you can measure me. I'm not the measure, I suppose. But as far as I can tell in myself, I'm not a false teacher. Um, but be careful as you listen to pastors. A lot of people, they like to listen to four or five pastors, you know. Be careful because some of these guys have an agenda that's not pointing people back to Christ or pointing people back to the Father. You just got to be careful on what you're listening to because some of these guys got an agenda and it's not your spiritual growth. It's their wallet growth, okay? So you need to be careful. But I don't really want to focus on that as much as remembering that as believers, this makes a lot of sense in this day as we see so many rebellious and worldly people out there that would drive men away from God that as believers, we're going to have to be particularly careful to study ourselves, approve uh, workmen unto God. We're going to have to be careful. We're going to have to be careful with the word. We're going to have to be careful in understanding the word. We're going to have to be careful. So if you're reading this letter together, which we've read, and we're going to read chapter three, or the first half of chapter three today, remember that this is written for you to develop you. You should be reading God's word on your own. Study to show thyself approved unto God individually. All scriptures God breathed is profitable for doctrine, proof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man, that the woman, that the young person, that the child of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, thoroughly furnished, new furniture in the warehouse. The old warehouse been swept out, new furniture has been moved in, completely ready to do any good work that God calls you to do because you've studied to show yourself approved. You know what it means. Rightly dividing the word of truth is how that ends. Correctly understanding what it says. The word of God has an exact meaning and we can know it. It's not unknowable. Some of it's hard to know. You get into Revelation, you get into Daniel, you're like, this is ridiculous. You get into Leviticus, this is super ridiculous. How am I supposed to know all this stuff? But you can know it. It has an exact meaning. But you don't have to study. You're going to have to put some effort in. You're going to have to read the book. You're going to have to go and ask sharp questions. You're going to have to write stuff down. You're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to look in commentaries. You're going to have to take it from more than one thing and understand what it really means. What does the Hebrew word mean? What does the Greek word mean, Aramaic word? But you can know it. Let's go ahead and read this word that we can know, starting in 2 Peter chapter 3. We're just going to read 1 through 11. We're going to read 1 through 10, sorry. 2 Peter 3, <clears throat> 1 through 10. Now I write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before me by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Sa of, our, of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget 
that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which now are, they're preserved by the same word, they're reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heath. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Peter says, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and by the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior that you would be minded. Remember, we saw that earlier, that, it, that Jesus, or, uh, Peter kept saying, I write this so that you will remember. I remind you that so-and-so. I remind you again. I write this because I'm about to die, so that you will remember after I'm dead. The point is, this is written so that we can remember. Peter is dead. He's not here, right? Anybody named Peter here? There's no. <laughs> he's not here. This Peter is not here. But his words are. And all Scripture is God-breathed. This was God's Word that Peter wrote down for us for this day. This isn't just applicable to 2,000 years ago. Look at our culture. The same thing that was going on then is going on today. It's bad out there. I was asking BJ, I said, well, what do you, she was telling me about, she always likes to tell me where she's at study-wise, you know, and she's like, oh, I've been in Leviticus. Man, it's rough. She goes, there's a lot of stuff in there. And then when God does stuff, he doesn't mess around. Both true statements. That's deep. That's a deep word, BJ. He doesn't mess around. The first five books of the Bible, we, we, it's, the Jews call it the Torah. And there's everything, and it's hard for us to grab as, as Gentile people or maybe not that good of readers. We don't read like our grandparents and before read. People don't tend to read as much. We like everything in real short bursts and tweets and and, uh, you know, a little short, you know, a couple hundred letter, you know, words or whatever. But this, the Torah, was what Jesus read from. If, in case you don't know this, Jesus, by his speaking, spoke the New Testament into light. But the words that he spoke were from the Old Testament. He didn't make it up. He helped us understand what it meant. He says, you say thou shalt not murder, but I say a man that harbors anger in his heart commits murder, right? You say thou shalt not commit adultery. I say, Jesus says, the clarity on this is for you today, you shall not have lust in your heart as the same as committing adultery with that person, right? So Jesus didn't take the Old Testament and ditch it. He took the Old Testament and he gave them clarity. If anything, the New Testament is the commentary on the Old Testament. It develops what the Old Testament was. You know, all Jews every week read 152nd of the Torah, and they all read the same one worldwide. They're all on the same page worldwide. You know that? So they broke it down so that they read it every year. They broke it down into 52 units. And so the one that they're going to read in Miami, Florida is the same one they're going to read in the synagogue in Russia. They're going to read the same segment, and they have forever. 
and they read it by the week of the year, and they read that segment for the year. And then the book of Ruth falls on the, on the Feast of Purim and things like that. They add other little scriptures to it. But the first five books in the Bible has everything that it needs for a person to be drawn to Christ, to the Messiah. It points to the Messiah. It points to the Father. It points to the Messiah. The first five books, does. it has everything we need in there. We're not keen enough maybe to discern it as we read it, in our culture from today to look into their culture and understand what all is going on. But it's there. And we should read it. And we should know it. And Peter's telling them that not only that, that you should know that, but you should be mindful of the words that were spoken before the Holy Prophets. You need to know what the Old Testament says. This is just a letter that Peter's writing to them to clear up some stuff. These people are already saved. Look at John. Oh, you don't have to look these up. I'll read them to you. You can write them down. And I didn't, get them, um, I didn't get them put on here. I don't know if he can find them fast enough. John 5, 39. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Jesus speaking. And these are they which testify of me, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. What scriptures is he talking about? He's not talking about Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's saying you search the scriptures in them thinking that you have eternal life, like you'll have closeness to the Father because you know a whole lot about him. But I'm telling you, I'm the Messiah in the flesh. I'm right here. Accept me now and you'll be saved. And they're like, no, it's got to be in the scriptures. Or 2 Timothy 3.16, we already read that, all scriptures God breathed. 1 Corinthians 10.11, now all these things happen to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages has come. All what things? Paul's writing in Corinthians to them, he's like, all the stuff that happened up to Malachi, that's the last book of the Old Testament, all those things were written for our uh, example, for our explanation, for so we can know that there is a God. We read in Malachi this morning, uh, uh, Malachi 5.2, and it talks about the one that's coming out of Bethlehem. The Messiah came out of Bethlehem, and it says it in Malachi. It was already written. All they had to do was go reread Malachi, and they'd be like, oh yeah, he was supposed to come out of Bethlehem. Oh, whoops, I forgot. There wasn't there a guy that came out of Bethlehem recently, and some stuff happened to him. He was doing miraculous stuff. And they couldn't put it together. They wouldn't, because their heart was hardened. Their eyes were covered. Matthew 5, 17 and 18. This is Jesus speaking again. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. It's basically an apostrophe. It's a little tiny um, mark that could show either where a vowel was, since they didn't have vowels, or it, which it showed an influence on a letter. And then last there in Revelation 1, Verse 3, and this was part of our devotional, but it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. We read them, we hear them, and we keep them for the time is near. I, tell, I promise you that the day of Christ's return is closer now than it's ever been. It's just how time works, right? <laughs> Tomorrow, it'll be closer than it's ever been. The next day, it'll be closer than it's ever been. That's how time works. But the consistency of the scripture, oh, last one, Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. The word of our God is what it says, stands forever. And then it says, all men are as grass, but the grass withers, the flower fades. So the beauty of man is the flower the life of man is the grass, and it'll fade away. 
So men have come and gone. Scripture has never changed. It's hung in there. The Torah has been in place, the first five books, for at least 4,000 years. Writings that are in the Torah were before that, that were likely carried over and brought to the Torah that Moses used to produce Genesis and, um, and things like that. The Torah is so impressive because it has been kept intact for that long. How is that possible? I mean, we have things right now going on where they're trying to change everything that we know to be true. They kind of mix it up and change it around and twist the words. I, I saw that they were going to make a law because they're doing AI-generated, artificial intelligence-generated political commercials. So if they're going to do an AI commercial, you have to put a little disclaimer on the bottom. So now they can make Donald Trump say whatever they want or Nancy Pelosi or whoever's running for office. You can make them say whatever you want. You can digitally add, digitally add a person in the picture that they were never with. Or you could take something out of the picture of them doing something that they were doing. Right? So everything's, uh, it's, it's all going to be very difficult for us to discern. It's going to become more and more difficult to discern what is the truth. But we know one thing that's the truth, and that's God's Word. And I'm not telling you you've got to stick with the King James. It probably wouldn't hurt you. But you can go to older translations than that. You can go to the Hebrew if that, if that suits you or the Greek, whatever suits you. But I'm telling you, stick with God's word in the book form. Because if there's, you need to have it in a book form somewhere. You're like, well, I got it on my, my little, what you call it, phone. But I'm telling you, with AI, they can go in there and make it say whatever they want it to say. China has done that with their Bibles. They have completely edited their Bibles and they have really eliminated um, things pertaining to Christ in there, and they've printed them, and that's the Bible, that, that's the only Bible they're allowed to use. Well, if that's the only Bible you got, I guess it's the one you got to use, but if it doesn't have God's name in there, it's, it's not really the Bible, is it? You got to be careful. Peter reminds us to maintain our spirit by remaining in the Scriptures. So whatever we see culturally, politically, economically, it's but a vapor. It's coming and it's going, and, and that's that. That's how science works. You know, ever how many years ago they, 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 uh, they didn't understand how weather patterns work. And now today they're giving us this, the climate origins or whatever they're saying is completely different than in the 70s. There was a, a front page article about we're coming into the new ice age. And now they're saying it's the hottest we've ever been. Well, pick one. But that's because men change. And men are constantly trying to undermine God's word and whatever the thing it is, whatever the science is, they say the cell works in this way every time and that it was, uh, that it came evolutionary, whatever the word is, evolutionally, it came from, you know, just some kind of protoplasm from electrical current on water and they can't explain where water came from and then it made a cell and then it became a frog and then it became a whale, became a man. I mean, and then they look at the cell and they see how refined and all the processes of the cell, and they're so intricate, and they're like, there's a lot more going on in that cell than can just happen by chance. That, that ain't possible. And so scientists have had to change the direction where they look at where the cell came from or how it is produced, the individual cell, and then they find this, this thing called the God particle that's so much smaller than the atom. It makes up the parts of the atom, the God particle, and it's, it's known for, it's called the God particle because, as how it's described, it holds all things together. That's what God does. That's what his word says. But scientists discovered, and they're like, oh, look what we just science. We, did, we just discovered that God hold, the God particle holds all things together. Yeah. 
Yeah, we knew that. It was in the book. We read the book, and that's what the book said, and, and he holds all things together. By the very word of his mouth, he holds all things together. And we can trust his word to hang in there, to remain the same, springtime and harvest, as long as there's seasons. And until the Lord returns, it's going to be this way because God's word stands why men are flip-floppers. So men have come, they have their ideas, they go. But none of those things change the immutability, the sovereignty, the holiness of God. None of those things do, or will they? The Bible, like the Godhead, will stand forever unchanged as it observes the working of men to attack it and to change it. It's not just men. It's a supernatural effect. We've got we to gotta trick people. The, the evil one has to trick people into you know, disdaining God's word or disavowing God's word as part of the game. He wants, uh, the evil one wants to be in control. What has he got to do? He's got to destroy man. He's got to destroy what's so precious to God. Psalm 2. Um, let's go ahead and look at it. Psalm 2. We'll read just 1 through 5. Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, 1 through 5. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and saying, against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Again. Why are the nations trying to do this stuff? Why do they plot against the most high God, the creator of all things? Why would kings of the earth, have you heard of Davos? Have you heard of the G20 summit where these, these high-ranking presidents and officials of, of certain countries get together and they try to come up with this harebrained scheme to control all of men with a one-world currency? It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Just know it's coming. Because the end of days can't happen unless we have a single means of trade. So there's going to be a one-world currency. Why do these guys get together and do that stuff? What makes them want to destroy God's people? What makes them want to have control of all these things? Because it's what men do. It's a failure of men to want to control other men. It's a wickedness of the supernatural realm that works through wicked men to control other men. All I want to do is just have my garden and you know, work and be left alone. You don't have to tell me what to do. I promise I will not come to your house, steal your stuff, or shoot you. Just leave me alone. Laws are put in place for lawless people, but not for law-abiding people. But the laws that the men of the earth put together control and afflict the godly people, the lawful people. Why is that? It says in the book that that's what's going to happen. The rulers take counsel together. Because, man, that's a sharp guy. George Soros, he's a genius, this uh, Klaus Schwab guy. Boy, he's so brilliant. Man, that guy's a controller. He's a destroyer of people and currencies. He's a destroyer of free will. He's an enslaver. And yet people are like, oh, he's so brilliant. Yeah, he's got his foot on your neck. And they do this against the Lord and against his anointed. And it's speaking about the, the Messiah there, but it's also talking about you. Because if you're known by him and you're kept by him and you're a child of the most, most high God, 
then you are of the anointed. You're of the royal priesthood. And you have a special place in the heavens with him. They say, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords. And it says of God, when men do these things, what does it say? He sits in the heaven and he laughs. It's like a two-year-old child telling you, coming in your house and say, Daddy, I'm taking this place over. And you're like, you got about two seconds, son, to go get that hickory switch and we'll see who's in charge. Right? He's just a, it's a joke. We're but of dust. And the God of all creation, he just is like, these knuckleheads, what are they doing now? <laughs> he just sits and laughs. He holds them in derision. At least with our children, we still, well, like God, he's so merciful to us because we've done the same thing. We've been in rebellion to him as well in times. Men that have no desire to seek the Lord continue to do what men do, and that is mock God, his creation, his people. That's the three mockeries of men. They mock God, they mock his creation, and they mock his people. They think we can control the environment. If we just do these things, if we eliminate these things, we can control the environment. Whatever, man. Build your big concrete building, and then God can swoop in a uh, whatever F5 tornado, and your building will be flat on the ground. Look at this house over here on Baisley's farm. Two seconds. since That's a brand new house. Two by six studs. You know, and everybody's like, well, the house might not have been built well. And that was just the F1 tornado. And God's like, I will remove this house. Swoop, and it's gone. And we just look silly because he's all-powerful. And what he does is in his will and at his motive, whatever he desires. So God's people must return, must in return seek him, his word, and have fellowship with his people in order to be able to defend ourselves against those that would mock him, his creation, and his people. So we need each other. We need the fellowship of the saints. We need the development of God's word in our spirit. We need to have the understanding of who God is and a love for him. Look at it says here in 3, uh, three verse 3. It says, knowing, oh, sorry, we're back in Second Peter. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. Can it, have scoffers come? Are there many people that mock God and mock his people and mock his creation? Yes, they are in existence today. The scoffers will come in the last days, and look what they say. Look what they do. The first thing it says, they walk according to their own lust. Is this in place today? Do people walk according to their own lust? Yes. Look at the, you name the thing. You name the sexually immoral thing that's going on in the world the way, um, you, you, we don't even have to go through it. You know what I'm talking about. It's out of control. And now these lustful people take these uh, transgender people into schools and have them sit in front of children, have children sit in front of them, and they say, this guy is normal. And the children are like, oh, if you say so. They don't know because they're walking according to their own lusts. And then what it says? And they say, where's the promise of his coming? Jesus is coming soon, whatever. Where's he at? How come he's not here? It's not up to us. It's up to him. He who sits in the heavens will laugh and hold men in derision. It's his time. It's not our time. We don't get to say, God, do this and do that, and he'll do it. It's up to him. It only takes about uh, two seconds to look up these verses in politics and on TV and see if what I'm telling you is the truth on that. And it says in verse 5, For by this they willfully forget that the word of God, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. They forget 
that there was a flood. There was a worldwide flood. They willfully forget, and if you hear scientists today, they'll call it large regional flooding. Large regional flooding, except that it covered the Rockies, and it can't cover the Rockies at 20,000 feet and not cover, you know, San Diego that's well below that, or New York City. Water doesn't slope. It goes flat. Put some in your tub to test my theory. I'm telling you, it doesn't go like this. It goes like this. If it covers the Rockies, it covers it all. And there's, there's flood damage throughout the world. There's layers of sediment. There's fossil records throughout the world of buried animals that died in the flood. Buried people that died in the flood. It's throughout the world. It's worldwide flood. He did it. And they, it says, they know he did it, but they willfully forget. It's got to be will. It's got to be the will of the person that can look. We were flying over Utah. It's very dry out there, and you can see the erosion. I mean, there's no, there's no grass on these kind of high desert mountains out there, and you can see it's just like if you had a pile of sand in your yard and you poured a five-gallon bucket on it. You get the same effect of the erosion with the ridges coming down. It's the same thing. It's caused by water covering it and then receding, and there's this huge lake that flowed into the Grand Canyon and so on. They know the lake bed is there. It's just the lake's not there now. Well, where did the giant lake come from? from floodwaters that receded. And they believe, they've been talking forever how the Grand Canyon was cut by the Colorado River over a hundred zillion years. But now their new theory is this lake bed dam broke and likely the Grand Canyon was cut in about two weeks. Okay, makes a lot of sense. You dump a bunch of water on the ground, hundreds and hundreds of feet deep, and you undam it and let it flow to its lowest point, you get the Grand Canyon. That's how it works. It's amazing. God's word stands. They willfully forget. Scoffers and mockers of God have risen to high places in our culture, and that's why they have so much influence. And, and then they say these things about Christ and his return, and they make it sound ludicrous. But uh, I don't know. I'm going to put my faith in the word. He's been right about everything else. I can trust that what his word says is true. I can believe it. I can trust it. It's true. And I'm just going to go with what the word says. And then it says... But beloved, do not forget this one thing, verse 8. Do not forget this. Just because time seems really slow or fast to you, time with the Lord, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. It doesn't mean that he created the days of creation were a thousand years each day. That's not what it means. It means with him, he controls time. He operates outside of time. We're restricted by time. Uh the things that we want to do to accomplish in our life, you better get to doing because you don't know if you got another breath. What was your? <laughs> I'm not even going to ask you poor people with this high blood pressure. They were having the, who's got the worst high blood pressure contest this morning before church? Well, mine was 100 and 250 over 140. Well, mine was 252 over. I'm like, goodness, man. It's one of your head doesn't just pop off your body. Oh, that kind of pressure, you know. You don't know how much time you got left. We're praying for you, Ray. Hang in there, brother. Get it down, son. Take another, uh, whatever, nitroglycerin pill or whatever. But we don't know. If you're going to make a million dollars, you better get after it. That's all I can tell you because you don't know how much time you got. There's people get backed over by cars and, you know, asteroids bonk them on the head. Crazy stuff kills people. Lightning strikes them, you know. Um, sharks bite them. That happened to my wife. She got bit by a shark, and then my house got hit by lightning and practically burned, almost burned down. I'm like, in one year, 
we got what they call the luck of the Irish. Except we're not Irish. But the point is, this stuff happens, and you don't know. You don't know how much time you got. So you better get to doing whatever you're going to do, knowing these things. God doesn't operate this way. He's got all the time in the world because he made the world and he made the time. And so he has the ability to do what he wants to do inside and outside the uh, dimensions that restrict us. Though it restricts us, it doesn't restrict him. That's why he's supernatural. So maybe we have a timely death after a full life. Or maybe we have a seemingly untimely death after a short life. Or maybe we have some source of suffering, health or economic suffering for a long part of our life. Or maybe we die in our sleep at 99 years old after drinking a, a quart of whiskey and smoking three packs a day every day. We don't know. It's not up to us. It's up to him. But I, what I pray too, and Charlie Alva was telling me this a while back, is I pray that we we see the rapture of the church. I pray that we see the second coming. I pray that we have assistance in the day of Armageddon. I pray that we get to watch the Lord do those things. I don't want to die. You want to die? But I'm ready to die. Are you ready to die? We need to be ready either way. It says, verse 10, but the day, well, let me focus on this one thing just for a second. And that is the Father is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And I can't go on with the message without reminding any who is here that doesn't have the assurance of salvation, the fact that they recognize that without the, the death of Christ, God pouring out all his wrath out on Christ rather than you for forgiveness of sins in your place. If you don't have Christ, then I can't tell you what's going to happen to you afterwards. It's going to be bad. But the Father is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So you're here today, if you have never repented, have you never recognized yourself as a sinner as you stand before a high and holy God, if you've never confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved, if you've never done that, then today is the day of your salvation. And I pray that today you will grab onto salvation and hold on to Christ as hard as you can and turn from the ways of wickedness in which you've lived up to this point, and so that you could be saved. Because the Father is not willing that any would perish, including you. And he says, I chose you from before the foundation of the earth, knowing the most wicked things that you would ever think, say, or do. He chose you anyway, and he made a place for you with him in eternity, if you will uh, repent and follow Christ. That's amazing. But there's going to come a day when there will not be one more person saved, and when that day comes, then the Father will tell His Son to go, and He'll pull us out of here. That's going to be a good day. It's going to be a scary day if you're not saved. But the day of the Lord, it says, will come as a thief in the night. And if I could emphasize anything, I would say the word will. The day of the Lord will come. It's guaranteed Money. If you're going to make a bet on something in Vegas, bet on this. The Lord will come. He's going to come. And the heavens and the earth are going to pass away and there's going to be all this destruction. This is like one of those promises to Abraham. And he promised to Abraham, your offering is going to be like the sand of the seas or the stars of the sky. And Abraham's like, I don't even have a one kid. I'm telling you, Abraham, you're going to have a bunch. I don't have any. Some of the promises of God's are in the future. And we have to look at what Abraham did. Abraham said, 
okay, yes, Lord, you're going to have a child in your old age. Well, I'm old. I'm 100 and something. Get to getting. I'm ready. <laughs> right? Sarai is about 100 years old, 90 some odd years old. And then they have a son. But they only have one. You're going to tell me that all of these generations are going to come from this one son? Yes, that's what I'm telling you, Abraham. All right, just kill me. I'll have to see it later. <laughs> he's not going to see it. He can't live long enough. He's already old. 175 years old. He's got one son when he dies. He's got the other son, the uh, Ishmael. But in the reality is the son of promise, he's only got one. How? Where's all these generations? Where's these generations you're talking about, God? But God is faithful and he's righteous and he's trustworthy and he does not lie and he said all these people you'll fill the earth with your people and he did and this uh lord is not slack concerning his promises a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is a day just because we haven't seen it yet doesn't mean it's not coming or that it won't come it's coming it will come the day of the lord will come and we need to be ready know this it will come we can trust in the Lord for his will to be accomplished, but it's going to be accomplished in his time and not a moment before. King Cyrus back in the day with Ezra, he sends him back to go rebuild the temple, but it wasn't time. He sent him with money, but it wasn't time. What happened? Cyrus croaked. He didn't see the promise. It wasn't time for the promise to be fulfilled. It did come, but it wasn't time. King Donald Trump he sent money to Israel to begin to build uh, this uh, the, the uh, deal there in Jerusalem. What I'm looking for? The consulate in Jerusalem, the American consulate in Jerusalem. And you know what? It's in the process. <laughs> but what he wanted to do, he's trying to hasten the coming of the, of the third temple. But guess what? It ain't time. King Putin from Russia one of the things that he's got on his mind, I've heard him say it, I've heard him say it in interviews, is he's trying to force the hand of the Lord's return. It's one of the reasons he attacked Ukraine. He said it himself. Because he knows that he's of Gog and Magog. Because that's what the Bible tells us. And he's like, well, I must be the king for that time. And so he's trying to force God's hand. And you don't force God's hand. Because you're controlled by time and by God, and you're just dirt. Just let God work in his time in you. Donald Trump, God bless him. King Putin, God bless him. Just wait, and God will do what he does in his time. And he'll use you, or he won't use you. But he'll do it in his time. Just attach yourself to the Most High God and let him use you as he sees fit, and you'll be way better off. You'll sleep better, too. Let him work in his time. We can trust the promises of God because he keeps his promises. He's not a man. He's not constrained by time. And like I told, I told somebody the other day, I mean, I told you a couple weeks, you can't trust me. Somebody said, hey, are you going to, I think I told Andrew one day, I'm like, hey, I'll be over there to pick you up. And then like three hours later, he's like, hey, man, are you coming to pick me up? I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to go pick him up. You got, man, I can't remember for three hours. But a thousand years is as a day with God. He's got a plan. He's going to work. Just know, if you're looking for a ride for me, I'll get there. But I might forget in between, you might have to call me back. God sets the time. He schedules the years. He schedules the creation. He schedules the kings of the earth. We look at these men and we say, we got to vote this guy and we got to vote that guy out. You know what? Vote. God bless you. Please vote. 
but know that it's God who lifts up kings and puts kings down. And sometimes he puts bad kings in an authority over men because we're wicked and he wants to discipline us. Sometimes he puts it because the righteous are acting in an unrighteous way and they need to be reminded who the real king of kings is. Vote, please vote. But know that God puts kings up and he puts kings down. He sets the times. He has the dominion of the heavens. He operates outside the constraints of time and dimension that men are constrained by. Knowing that, verse 11, 2 Peter 3, this is the key. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, annihilated, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Knowing all this, what I just told you, I'm not lying to you, as best I can tell you, and as I understand God's word and how it works, as best I can tell you, everything is going to be destroyed. Knowing this, before you go and buy you another Ferrari or whatever you do with your spare money, before you go do that, knowing that it's all going to be dissolved, your Ferrari's going to melt, what manner of person should you be in conduct, holy conduct, and godliness? As a believer. We're reading this book as believers. He gave us an outline of what we're supposed to do. So what should we be doing knowing that these negative things are coming and that negative people are going to be in control of us and negative people are going to boss us around? Negative people are going to persecute us and oppose us and afflict us. What kind of person should we be? We've got to be reminded of the shortness of our life. Look at 14 and 15. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace. What manner of person should you be? Well, be diligent to be found by him in peace, in peace amongst the fellowship, in peace in your household, in peace in, in um, one mind with Christ, with yourself, with the Holy Spirit, not quenching the Spirit, the Bible says. Be in peace there, uh, without spot or blemish. Some of us will do better than that in others. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. What manner of person should I be knowing that everything that I hold dear physically, material, will be destroyed at some point, including my own body if I die, when I die? What manner of person should I be? I should be at peace. I should be looking forward to Christ's return in peace. I should be working, um, studying to show myself approved unto God by studying his word, by singing praises to him like we read in, in Psalm this morning, Psalm 111. I should be working on those things. That's the things that are going to be eternal. They're going to last. The material things that we produce for ourselves or towards ourselves or in ourselves are not going to last. But it's only the eternal things of God that will last. And we'll be tested. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. And it's all going to be tested by fire. And only the gold, silver, and precious stones is going to stand. What we do for Christ, how we lived as believers, how the, uh, how the Holy Spirit worked in us and developed us for God's glory, that's going to last. And everything's going to, everything else is going to be burned up. So what kind of person are you supposed to be? BJ. We've got to be reminded that life is very short. The things that we do are, are important. The influence that we have with people is important as we speak the words of life to other people, as we minister the gospel to others. Are we making the best use of our time here on earth? 
Are we taking every moment captive? Are we concerned about things that have no eternal value? Maybe it's, you know, whatever, college, whatever your thing is, college football, whatever thing that you, you trivialize your time with. Could I be better using my time to develop others with the gospel, to, to minister to other people, to uh, be holy, set apart for the Most High God? Um, are we concerned about things that have no eternal relevance? Are we in constant reliance and remembrance of the goodness and guidance of our Savior? I heard this little preacher the other day. He's just a little old man, and he was as common as could be. And he said, man, as I'm looking at the culture and I'm looking at things that are going wrong and negative things that are happening, he says, this is the things I would do if I was you. He said, I'd get in shape physically. This guy was about 350 pounds, and uh, he was not in physical shape. But he said if he was you. So, uh, <laughs> so he said, I'd get in shape physically. I'd get some, a little bit of extra dry goods and some food and stuff like that, maybe a generator for my house. And he said, I'd get in shape spiritually. This is the most important. I'd study God's word, and I'd be developed as a believer. That's a pretty good list. Knowing these things, what kind of person should you be? I got a, a song I want, I want Emily and um, James to sing, and I just want you to think about what it says. It's called Ancient Words Ever True. The Word of God is alive and powerful. It's still alive, alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It has a blade that cuts in the positive and the negative. It cuts both ways, piercing even, driven through, piercing even the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, it can cut through the bone and reveal what's inside, what you are. It's a critic of thoughts and intentions of men's heart. We've got to know the Word of God. It's unchanging. We need to be developed by it and be made holy through it. Let's listen to this song and then we'll pray together, okay?
Lord. Let's stand together and sing that chorus together. Ready? Ancient words. Ancient words have a true changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words impart. While you're there, and, and just bow your head for a moment, if you would, and Let's think about whether or not we can trust God's Word. If we can trust His Word, and we can, and we know it to be true, then why don't we apply it to our lives? Father, I ask you to have mercy on us today as we have read your Word, and you told us that if we know to do right and do not do it, it is sin. And we know that we're supposed to study to show ourselves approved in reading your Word. We know that you wrote these words to warn us and to train us and to help us to become more Christ-like so that we could be more usable to you. Help us, Lord, this week to be convicted in spirit to read your word. Father, I pray for these that are here that have heard the word but don't really have understanding of it. Father, I pray that you open the eyes of their spirit, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would reveal to them the, the goodness of the word, that it would, it would sink down into them. You said it was sweet in the mouth but bitter in the stomach. That as they read the word, they'd find it sweet, but it would bring bitterness and that they would understand who they are before you and what's going on in our world, Lord. But it would change them. It's the very best nutrition we can take into our bodies, Lord. Help us to read your word with understanding. Father, for one that might be here and not know who you are, Lord, I pray that today is the day of their salvation. I pray that they would come, that they wouldn't be afraid, but they would come and ask for help, that they could be led to the, the throne of grace. Thank you for your care for us, Lord. Thank you for your long-suffering towards us, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Lord, I pray for those that are, are waffling in that, Lord. I pray for those that, have, that are in backslidden case right now, that they're trying to hold on to things of the world that aren't going to sustain them in the last days, Lord. I pray you reveal those things to them. You break them of them. Break those things in us, Lord, that are keeping us from a closeness with you and reveal your son to us in new ways every day. Thank you for your goodness, Lord, your long-suffering towards us. Thank you for those that prepared the food today and made it a, a nice time of fellowship for us in advance. Thank you for your care for us. I pray that as we go about this week, Lord, that these words would spring to our lips and we would tell others about the hope that is within us. And we give you all the honor and glory and praise for your goodness and your mercy, your long-suffering, your grace, your holiness, and your sovereignty. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we will have a service tonight at 6 p.m. We'll have uh, lunch right there. We have plenty, even if you didn't bring anything. I pray you'll stay. We'll have good fellowship with one another. And uh, God bless you all. Hope to see you tonight. And uh, Brother Andrew's going to be speaking a little bit tonight. So come and, come and be amazed. All right. <laughs> God bless. Amazing. No, I didn't say he was amazing. I said come and be amazed. He's pretty amazing.